got my first real six string, bought it at the five and dime. And I played until my fingers bled. It was <laughs> the summer of 69. <laughs> this is, uh, well, it's your buddies. Maddie's on the mic, Timmy's on the mic, all is well. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. 99 here. 99 episodes in the can for you and me. And if you had to, Matt, if you had to choose one word to describe what all these episodes have been about, what would you say? You could use two if you want. You could use an article. Thank you. I was going to ask. The tunes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to speak for my pal, but I will. I think we are both guys who care about the working man and woman. Tim, you don't think you can say that for me? <laughs> You're right, pal. We do. We both do. That's right. Okay, thank you. I should be more confident in yes. my speaking for you. Uh, we love the behind-the-scenes hero, do we not? We love the unsung hero. Yes. And in music, gosh, there are a lot of those. <sighs> and how? Because for, for every big-name, big-shot... Uh, Selena Gomez, sort of Justin Bieber, sort of whoever you've heard of. There are so many incredible musicians, uh, songwriters, producers, performers that we, that you just don't you just don't know the names of these people, right? But they're there. They 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 have to be there, Tim. This stuff, it, mm-hmm. it, nothing happens without these people, right? I think you and I have realized, perhaps, that it is our solemn duty. It's maybe our chief mission uh, as the field generals of the Ear Buddies Army to sing the praises of these people, to point the spotlight away from the big name you know and stand, whoop, move it over here <laughs> to the name you don't. Yes, I completely agree. And it's nice that it only took us 99 episodes <laughs> to kind of hone in on that mission statement. No, look, because I think you're exactly right, and I mm. think this this has been bubbling, um, not even under the surface, but at the very top, uh, mm-hmm. for kind of, uh, for a hundred, well, 99 episodes, right? Like, yeah. we've talked about their wrecking crew, and about different producers and writers, That's and right. all, all these people who people just don't know about, but... You gotta know about them. You can't, you can't just, this doesn't exist in a vacuum, Right, we gotta we gotta talk about the working man and woman. <laughs> we do, and even better than talking about them, Matt is talking to them. Uh, and so we are. Uh, this is a roundabout way of saying we got another interview, Matt. We talked to Jim Valance. Is a name that you might know, but I bet you don't. You probably don't. And yet, the music you're hearing in the background right now is thanks to Jim. He is the songwriter uh, behind just a gazillion really good tunes. Pretty much every Brian Adams song you know, Summer of 69, Heaven, Cuts Like a Knife. So many of those songs uh, were 
collaborative. They were co-writes with Jim Valance. He also worked with Ozzy Osbourne and Hart and 38 Special and Aerosmith and just like every big name pop rock band from the 80s uh, ended up in Jim's home studio at some point. Isn't that amazing that he's now talking to the buddies? It is amazing. And we are, we are just so blessed. Are we not? I mean, we oh, have, well, no. we have we these, these legends who are willing to sit down mm-hmm. and have us just chew on their ears for a bit. It's, it's wonderful. I'm thrilled. It's wonderful, man. So, uh, you know, we, we spoke to Jim about his career as a songwriter, kind of how he got uh, his, his big break, if you will, his philosophy as an artist, uh, the work he did, you know, the names he worked with. We also, Matt, talked about uh, a buddy who he, at least for a time, was no longer buddies with. Now that's synergy, baby. How apropos. Yeah, that's a great. And plus, we even talked to him about a Broadway musical he wrote um, with Brian Adams called Pretty Woman, which is still being performed. I don't think it's on Broadway, but it's in uh, it's in England touring right now. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our interview with Jim Valance. Your Buddies Army, we are so thrilled to be joined by... A fabulous, very accomplished uh, songwriter, arranger, and producer. You've heard his songs if you know any uh, any of the great tunes of Brian Adams. Uh, but he's also worked with Ozzy Osbourne, uh, The Scorpions, Joe Cocker, Kiss, Alice Cooper. I mean, I could go on and on. Aerosmith. We can't forget Aerosmith. Uh, it's Jim Valance joining us on Ear Buddies. Jim, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. You know, I uh, started off by listing a bunch of legendary musicians uh, who you, uh, well, I would say they're lucky to have worked with you, actually. You, you've uh, you've put a lot of really incredible songs to paper. How do you view your body of work today? You know, now that you're you're somewhat removed from from uh, writing Summer of 69, for instance, but but all of your work, how do you how do you see it in 2024? Gosh, well, you know, sometimes I'll look at the list, and I'll even surprise myself, and it, it just reminds me how very, very busy I must have been in the, uh, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. Um, uh, you know, the joke I say is, you know, some years I worked uh, 53 weeks, and, uh, you know, very few breaks, or there'd be, like, a, I'd have a week planned for, to take some time off, and then at the last minute I'd get a call from... You know, Alice Cooper's manager, you know, can you squeeze us in? And then that, there goes my, you know, my break. But, yeah, just it was an enormous amount of work, but all of it, all of it inspiring, enjoyable. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful to have, I mean, literally, I pinched myself. I, I've only job my whole life has been music. Now, hmm. it was slim in the beginning. You know, as a young musician, it was literally uh, sneaking into my apartment sometimes because I didn't have the rent. I didn't want the landlady to see me. So it was, you know, it was very exponential. Started very humbly, and then, you know, kind of snowballed through the 
70s, 80s, and 90s. But, um, yeah, a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Do you recall kind of the the shift? Can you talk to us about, you know, going from that stage in your songwriting career of being afraid to run into the landlady to that turning point of, hey, I think I could really make a living doing this. How did that happen for you? Um, well, I was actually happy to, you know, be making, you know, 50 or 100 bucks a week way back in the day. So it's, it's always been kind of gratitude that I was making a living as a musician, however humbly. But from sort of zero to 100, from, you know, no success to success was a very slow process over, you know, a dozen years. It's not like suddenly one day I woke up and, you know, I, I was a successful songwriter. Um, I I met Brian Adams in January 78, and we had both just quit bands we were in. This is in Vancouver, Canada, and neither of us had a, a plan B or a plan or a plan A for that matter. But um, we met in the music store and decided to get together, and, and a few days later we did, and you know, wrote a song the first day and the second day and the third day, and, and we've just never stopped. So, January 78, uh, we wrote an album, I think it came out in 79, released in Canada, didn't do very well, got a little bit of action, but nothing to really uh, speak of. Then, 89, 90, sorry, 78, 79, 80, album number two did a little better, album number three did a little better. So basically over five years from uh, 79 to 83 when his first big album, Cuts Like the Knife, came out. That was a real slow, gradual uh, you know, increase in record sales and, and, and recognition. So um, I, I've seen bands that have had a huge hit on their very first album and, and then they can't follow it up. So I think there's a lot to be said for a slow burn for sort of earning it just literally one step at a time. So, Jim, I'm uh, so Tim and I have been doing music together for uh, a very long time in, in some capacity or another, and now we just you know have this podcast and, and mostly talk about it together. But I have been writing songs for I mean, most of my life, and I'm always, I'm always interested to know like. I guess the process, right? Because every uh, writer has a different style, and and so, you know, today um, I don't know if this was like this uh, back in the '70s or '80s, but uh, it's it's become very. The process, I think, has become a lot more uh, compartmentalized. Like a lot of the times, you'll have a person who's just doing the melody, and then someone just for lyrics, and then a producer, and everyone has their role, which which works, right? That's how a lot of gr- great you know modern songs have been made. But for you, um, like. I do, I'm wondering, are you are you a lyrics guy? Are you a, a melody guy? Do you kind of just do it all or do what the situation calls for? How does that work for you? Uh, well, yeah, a, a bit of both. I, I can do it all. I, I play piano, guitar, bass, and drums. Um, I write lyrics. I write melodies. But I also collaborate. So I really love writing with others. So depending who I'm writing with, uh, like Stephen Tyler has some very specific sort of ideas and a real deep well lyrically, and he's got just wonderful ideas lyrically. So I'll jump in, you know, once in a while, uh, but you know, for the most part, just let him 
uh, do the lyrics. Um, melodies, same thing. I mean, uh, Joe Perry, and I, I'm sticking with Aerosmith just for a minute here. And Joe Perry was just capable of coming up with endless riffs, all of them brilliant. And a lot of times Stephen's melodies would just pick up on, on Joe's riff. So you take Joe's riff and then Stephen's melody and then we modify that and, and work on the lyrics. Uh, Stephen and I would go out and sit uh, in uh, in my backyard at a picnic table and on a sunny day. We'd, we'd sit there and take this lyrics we'd started on and then just kind of modify them and grow them and, and, and change them until we were happy. So that was the, the process with Aerosmith, but it's different every time, again, depending who I'm working with. Literally a whole different thing. You have to reinvent your, your, your way of working depending who you're collaborating with. Sure, yeah. I mean, that, I think... I wonder, and uh, you know, you don't have to answer this, but I know, like, obviously working with these huge artists, is there any, uh, like, ego involved there? Because I know a lot of the times somebody wants, you know, more of a cut and they're going to fight for their idea. Or, or was it, for you, was it really, like, best song, best idea ends up winning? I mean, I'd say 95% of the artists I collaborated with over the years were just, you know, fair and generous and... Uh, there was never any discussion about I wrote one more word than you did or, or did that. And again, in the case of Aerosmith, um, when I first met them in March 85, uh, they had just come off a couple of albums that hadn't done very well. Uh, the band was in trouble. They'd all had issues with, with drugs. Uh, they'd all been to rehab. Um, they had got a new record deal with Geffen. And when I met Stephen and Joe, they were literally... I think a month out of rehab, so they were still a little, little testy, and they were uh, coming to see me because the record company told them to. So it's not a matter of ego, but it was a, it was some reluctance, you know. And they mm -hmm. didn't really want to be writing with with an outside writer. But I mean, the first day, you know, we, we I think they came over just after lunch, and by dinner time we had pretty much the song Ragdoll written. I mean, you know, the, the, the bones of it anyway, the chords, the feel, uh, most of the lyrics. So by the end of the first day, I think um, we kind of discovered that it was going to work. And, uh, you know, we wrote, uh, I forget, three or four or five songs on that album, which was uh, Permanent Vacation. And then next album, a year later, they actually asked to work with me. So, um, so yeah, it was awkward maybe the first hour, and, and then it settled in. As, as far as arguing or disputing uh, credits, uh, I'm really reluctant to name names, but there was one artist I worked with. Um, <laughs> and we spent a week together, and the album came out, and I wasn't credited. And I, I phoned his manager, and he said, well, he says you didn't contribute anything. <laughs> and um, uh, I had to fight a little bit, and I also had the tapes, you know, that we had you know, a week of proof that we had started with nothing. <laughs> Uh, sure. <laughs> so, you know, but that was a very rare, very rare thing. Hmm. Everyone I've worked with has been nothing but, you know, uh, generous and easy to work with. You know, I'm struck by your, I mean, what what's coming through in the stories you're telling, Jim, is versatility and clearly a, you, you create, or at least you contribute to a, uh, the creation of a, of a really comfortable place for artists and songwriters to collaborate. I would think, I mean, tell me if you think that I'm on the right track, that that spirit of 
openness of collaboration of of willingness to to listen i mean sitting down in a music shop with brian adams you know that's such a um that's such an intimate and clearly very successful avenue for songs to be written do you think that's part of your success is is kind of this the space that you could create for yourself and for artists to to collaborate really openly yeah i mean i've never thought of it but i i i think you might be right i had a um a studio space in my home so in, in my basement to begin with mm-hmm. and i had all the gear down there you know guitars drums recording equipment and so on um an endless supply of uh coffee tea and cookies and you know just <laughs> and, and my my son uh who was uh he was a toddler when i uh you know sort of late 80s early 90s and i remember one time in particular uh, joan jett was difficult to get to know she's she's very shy and, and and reserved and i was really having a tough time getting to know her the first day was a little awkward and then um my son came downstairs, I think he was three, and he came wandering into the studio, and I said to him, uh, this is Joan Jett, and he said, hi Joan Jett, <laughs> and, and, and she melted, and, and after that it was, um, you know, it was really great, so she just needed something to, to get through, you know, to kind of soften the situation, so yeah, I think it was a comfortable space, I think people liked coming to my to my studio and and it was in a house and you know it was a comfortable relaxed environment you know talking about all this uh and tim you you kind of touched on it a bit but you've uh really obviously had all this success but what is this like what does this music that you're creating mean to you you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of uh, artists I know who, or writers rather, who kind of have a, they have a talent, they have a gift, and they use it to get, make a paycheck. There's a lot who mm. aren't satisfied with that and want to uh, turn it into an artist project, and they want th- to see their name in lights. But it seems like, Jim, for you, and again, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like you uh, were trying to um, to make yourself a star. So was it all i mean was it just about making good songs for you or or what was kind of your driving force there i mean driving force for starters if i'd never had success i would still you know at the age of 71 right now i'd still be doing it because first of all i'm uniquely unqualified to do anything else um (laughs) all i've all i've ever done my whole life is music so uh, it's all i know and the the creative process, I, I'm, in fact, quite recently someone was asking me to explain it, and I said, look, I, I don't want to be flippant about this, but I, I, I can't explain it. It's, it's kind of an obsessive-compulsive thing. You're, you're always thinking about music. You're, as a songwriter, there's like this almost voices in your head 24-7. It's pretty hard to, hmm. to you know, quiet it. Um, and you're, you're compelled to write music. So you got there's something in you. You got to you got to get it out, and so I, I've always um, not just enjoyed writing music, but I've, I've I've had to write music. I've wanted to write music, um, and again the success part. I mean it, it's a bonus. I, I love that um, I can pay my rent now. But um, if that hadn't happened, I'd, I'd still be doing exactly what I was doing when I was 21. At 71, I'd be doing what I did at 21, which is you know playing music and and being real grateful to. To have that in my life. That is a 
Perfect answer. Yeah, I, I love that. Tim, you going to say And the other part of your question, I, I, I really have never had any aspirations to be an artist. I mean, first of all, I did not get the uh, singing gene. Uh, I, I, I can't sing. Uh, I mean, I can warble. And when I'm writing songs, obviously, I, I, I sing. But then over to, over to Brian or Ozzy or someone else to, you know, to do the heavy lifting. So I, I just, I, I wasn't, I didn't have the artist kind of aspiration right out of the gate. Um, and always was interested more in the, like even in my teens, I used to read the small print, like who, who, who mm-hmm. produced this, who recorded it, who, who arranged it, who are the, the musicians. So that was always my area of interest was to kind of be the behind the scenes guy and, and let the artists do what they do. So Jim, you um, you laid the groundwork for us a little earlier um, in in how you met Brian Adams and how it it took a few albums there to to really you know kind of have that um, turning point in, into cuts like a knife and and suddenly you you've, you're having you know the two of you are collaborating on hit after hit. I'd love to dig in on that long relationship that you and Brian had um, to to keep going to the well with someone like that there must be a really something really great at the core some you know whatever the shared engine for the two of you as songwriters was uh, I mean it it was burning hot for a really long time can you kind of tell us uh, about that relationship and, and what was at the core of, of what made the two of you work so well together? Well, I mean, all these years later, we're, we're friends, we're, we're brothers, there's a lot of love and, and, and respect. Um, but, you know, right from the first day he came over, you know, and, and we sat down and, and cut our guitars out and tried to write something, there was, there was trust. You know, and which you know obviously grew once. I once I saw how how gifted he was as a he was eight he was eighteen. I mean, I was a bit older, but he was he was a kid still living with his mom. But he was just so tenacious and talented um, that I, I knew this was this was going to work. Um, I couldn't have predicted how well it would work, but I knew we were going to going to have some fun and, and, and make some music together. So, I mean, over the years, it was really kind of, kind of what you pointed to earlier. You know, there was just this, there's no ego, uh, best idea wins. Never, ever once did we argue about uh, writing credits. Every song was 50-50 for you know, 45 years, whatever it's been. Um, and we just wanted to do the best work that we could. And it doesn't mean that we wrote a good song every time. It, it, it was hard work. It was, you write, for every 19 songs, we, we might have got number 20 would, would be a good one. You know, we'd, we'd start 19, maybe not even finish them, but just, you just have to really please yourself and police yourself and please yourself. We, we wrote music that, that we liked, that, that we thought was good, and if, and then you just kind of hope and pray everyone else will like it too. Um, but we were just really serious about getting better. You know, so the first, and I can look back on those first three or four albums, and I remember how hard we worked in the, in the beginning with nothing to show for it. Uh, but we just believed, 
in, in what we were doing and in each other. And we just kept at it. And we did get better. So each album, I can look back and say, yeah, we did better, we did better. And by the time we got to Reckless, I think we really learned the, the, the craft of, of songwriting. You know, it took three albums to, to kind of get to that place. But, but we, we were good learners. We, we, we really, you know, as I say, trusted each other, learned from each other, and, and grew together. I've got a, a, a question just out of sheer curiosity here. So I really like what you said about, you know, you're, you're writing to make songs that you like, right? Like, and that's, I think, kind of the only correct way to do it. But I'm wondering when you were sort of in your heyday and with Brian or, or whoever, was there, well, A, was there pressure to um, sort of fit a certain trend or a certain sound, something that was hot on the radio? And if so, did you feel like you needed to, you know, cave to that? Or were you just like, we're just going to do what we want to do regardless? I, I don't think there was ever any attempt to kind of second-guess radio, you know, and, and, and be current or ahead of the, the game. But certainly if, um, I mean, there was weeks where I would with Ozzy one week and Michael Bublé the next. So the shifting gears, you know, style-wise was, was quite dramatic. And all you tried mm-hmm. to do in each case was um, write a song or contribute to a song that sounded like Aerosmith, because I'd have to keep that in mind. And especially the first time I would work with an artist, I'd listen to their back catalog and, and kind of, you know, get up to speed on you know, their sound and where they've been. And then with a view to, you know, where can they go from here? Um, but you, the only thing I really, it wasn't even felt pressure, but just felt an obligation was to at least know the artist's uh, style and catalog and and write something that would belong on the album. Now, again, back to something you said earlier, I mean, uh, did I do it for the love or for the money? Well, you know, you got to make a living. And especially if you if you want to make a living as a songwriter, the only way you get paid is you, you write a song, it goes on the album, the album sells, and then about six months or a year later, you, you get a, a royalty check. But you write a song, if it doesn't go on the album, or if the album doesn't sell, then you don't get a royalty check. So if there's any sort of premeditation involved, it's, you know, let's write a song that I am pretty darn sure is going to make it onto the album. You know, and, and it helps to write with the artist. But, you know, there's lots of times where I wrote a song with an artist and it, it didn't make it. Well, actually, that's a, a great story. Let me, let me digress. Um, so 1982, um, I was living in Vancouver, Canada, and I got asked to work with a band in Toronto by the name of Toronto. Terrible, terrible name for a band, but, but they, they were actually a really good band. They, you know, um, so I went back to Toronto for a few weeks and I, I wrote with them. Can't remember how, how many songs we ended up with, but uh, we finished. And back in those days, there was room for twelve songs on a vinyl disc. And uh, I wasn't there, but apparently the band sat down and there was twenty songs to choose from. They chose twelve, and this one song that I'd written with the band. Uh, didn't make it. So it was now an orphan. And in fact, I completely forgot about that song. So that's 1982. 1985, I get a phone call from uh, a record executive, uh, Capitol Records in Los Angeles, a guy named Don Gerson. And Don says, congratulations, you've got the first single on the new Heart album. 
And I went, what, what song is that? And he said, what about love? And I went, really? Uh. So that, like, I'd completely forgotten about it. But what had happened is Toronto's record label in the interim had gone bankrupt and the catalog had been acquired by EMI Music Publishing. And a guy named Mike McCarty in Toronto went through every song in uh, this uh, record company's catalog, uh, recorded or not, and he came across What About Love, and he thought it was a hit, and he sent it to Don Gleason in LA, who, sorry, this <laughs> is a longer story, but it's worth telling. So Don Gleason yeah. sent it to um, Ron Nevison, who was producing Heart at the time, and Ron was in Seattle with Anna and Nancy Wilson, the Heart Sisters, and he played them What About Love, and uh, Nancy, uh, I didn't know about this till years later. Nancy got up, walked out of the room, and said, "I will not record this song." And, and they both hated it. And so apparently, Ron Nepson said, "Look, I think it's a hit. Here's the deal: record it, and if you still hate it, I promise it won't go on the album." So uh, I guess they recorded it, and I guess they liked it, and it ended up being their, their comeback single. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've got a few stories like that, songs that you thought just, you know, weren't going to fly, and then, you know, big surprise a few years later. Yeah, I guess you never know exactly the route. Uh, you know, once you've written the thing, who knows what road it will take. Truly, and, uh, yeah. and every song has yeah. a story. Every, every single one has some kind of journey. It just so happens that Matt and I... Um, our last episode, right before this conversation, was kind of a deep dive on uh, buddies, you know, friends in music who go their separate ways, who are no longer buddies for for at least a time. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I know from from reading about you and your story that there was a time when you and Brian. We're not working together, and and it seems like maybe your relationship had become somewhat strained. Is that fair to say? Yeah, truly. I mean, listen, when you spend 10 years sitting nose-to-nose -nose with someone in a room with no windows, you know, 12 <laughs> hours a day, which, I mean, Brian and I worked extremely hard, you, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like a marriage. You know, at some point, uh, it's either going to work or it isn't. And I think there were a couple of things, like after Reckless, which was you know, a huge album, and we had to follow it up. And um, I, I, I think probably after that we should have taken a break because we, to get to that point, we had by this time worked, oh, five, six, seven, eight years really hard to, to get to that point. And then, you know, the record company wanted a follow-up, so, you know, we went back in and started writing. And it, it was really difficult to, you know, how are we going to top Reckless? And I think we tried too hard. And I think we were also, uh, we also thought if we can't do something that bigger, let's do something different. So we tried to, you know, we, we bought some synthesizers and tried to change the, the style of our writing and so on. But it, it hmm. just got to the point where it wasn't working. Uh, personally, musically, and again, I just attribute this to, you know, you, you can't spend that much time with someone and, and not get on each other's nerves at some point. So we, we kind of just got on each other's nerves. And, you know, the, the upside is, I think Brian needed a change too. And, and Mutt Lang had, 
had come into our lives. We, we were collaborating, me and Brian and Mutt, and he, he was bringing something really different, really fresh, uh, you know, to the equation. And it was me. I just got to a point one day where it, it, we had had so much fun for so many years, and it wasn't fun anymore. So mm. one day I just said, you know what, I'm I'm out of here. You know, I, I just I don't want to do this anymore. And it was a a, a painful parting. You know, because we were we were brothers, and I think it was about ten years went by. We didn't have pretty much uh, contact, and Brian had he went on to huge success with with Mutt, and and I went on to success with Aerosmith and Ozzy and others. So we we both took our separate paths, and then we just started hanging out again. You know, we missed each other, and and we and we started writing again, and you know, I mean, I mean. Today we, we we couldn't be closer. We couldn't be better friends. You know, I'm godfather to his daughter. Um, we see each other whenever we can, and you know, again, a lot of love and respect. Oh, a happy ending. That's yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You love a story of reconciliation. You know that because that certainly, as we were talking about last week, Matt. So many bands or collaborators or artists, you know, will burn out in a nasty way and never you know, never want to see each other ever again. It speaks to, I think, again, something really great in you and Brian, Jim, that uh, you were able to, to, maybe there wasn't a hatchet to bury, but at least you were able to come back together and as friends and collaborators, because I know um, you, you then, after you got back together, have done some really cool things, including writing a Broadway musical together, Pretty Woman. I look around and what I see is I don't belong here. This isn't me. Yeah, that was a, a trip and a half. I mean, <laughs> that's the hardest I've ever worked in my life. That was that was three years. I don't think I'm exaggerating to say three years, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, with very, very little time off and, and a very difficult, demanding director. So uh, remember I said earlier about you know, when you're writing, uh, it's important to uh, police yourself and please yourself. So you have to always kind of be looking down from above and, and going, you know, is this good? Are we, are we doing good work? And also, do I like it? Um, when you're doing a Broadway show, the director has that role. He's the one who is policing you, and you're the one, he's the one you have to please. And I didn't mind the writing. It was the rewriting and the re-rewriting and the re-re-rewriting that, that drove me crazy. So to get 20 songs that he was happy with, we, uh, we wrote 40. I mean, we finished 40, but we probably started another 10 or 20 over and above that that maybe just didn't get past out to an early demo stage. So it was a really difficult, demanding, arduous process I, I i would i would not do it again it's, it's not it's not my wheelhouse there's, there's people that do it and do it really well um but i'm i'm not that person so uh, i'm glad i did it it was a, a great experience i met some great people got very inspired by you know these kids that dance and sing and they're so talented and, and so enthusiastic and you can't help but be inspired by them and many of them are are, are still friends and the, and the show's still running it's uh we spent eight, uh, sorry, 2016, 17, 18 writing it, 
And then it ran in Chicago, it ran in New York, it ran in London, it ran in Hamburg. And right now it's on a tour of the UK, two weeks here, two weeks there. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, in some ways it's the, the gift that keeps giving. Um, but I, I wouldn't do another one. Yeah, no seems, sequel coming. Yeah. <laughs> seems difficult to have to write for, you know, to please somebody else and, and constantly be rewriting like that. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it, 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 you know, there were times when it was fun and times when it wasn't. Um, but again, I'm glad I did it. No regrets. Jim, as we come to a close, um, could I ask you what, if, if you can, if you can point to either one song or one moment or or a whole album or, or whatever it is, is there something that if you had to hang your hat on one thing in your career, what are you proudest of? You know, what do you say? No one can ever take that away from me. Tough question because there's, there's so many songs, but mm-hmm. and they are all kind of like your children. And you never want to tell your children I love you more than your sister or something. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, Summer 69 has been, has been pretty good to me in terms of, of you know, longevity and just, I think, uh, respect in, in both the fan community and the, and the uh, music community. Um, and so much of the writing I did over the years was... Uh, rather than autobiographical, was was fictional. Like uh, we, uh, you know, create characters. You know, love them or love songs about a boy and a girl, and and you kind of imagine a scenario. And it was like writing a fictional short story or something. But Summer '69's got some of me in it, lyrically. You know, some of my my story. And and, and Brian's got his story in there too. So I won't speak for him. But you know, it's it's about for me. Uh, when we were writing it, we, we did as much talking as we did writing. Just talked about first bands, first girlfriends, you know, school, all that sort of stuff. And and so much of that is in the song that, that I, I feel, maybe more than any other of my songs, I feel kind of a personal attachment to that one. What a tune it is, too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, great choice. A great choice. Well, Jim, we feel really lucky and fortunate that you gave us the time you did today to talk about your career. Um, it's it's a fun discography uh, to to pick through when when you look up songs by Jim Valance. There are so, like you said, you know, I'm sure it is hard to choose because there are so many um, amazing songs that were put to tape thanks to your work. So we're thankful for the music you've made and we're thankful for the time you've given your buddies. Very kind. Thank you. We did it, Matt. Another interview where an important person, you know, doesn't seem to dislike us. (laughs) (laughs) And perhaps that's what it's all about, really, when you get down to it. Pleasing people. That's right. Man, that was... I just... I want to keep doing these for... Ever, I guess, until we break up. That it is so. It's so interesting. It's fascinating to talk to. Well, anybody. I mean, every human is a human. Everyone has a story. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. But Jim just happens to have a very interesting story. Yes, and I. I think, man, I, not, not that we need to do a book club reflection afterwards, Tim. But but I do want to say, uh, while uh, Jim is no longer here, mm-hmm. that 
his answer about kind of why he's writing these tunes. Oh, man. About how he would be doing it regardless of anything. Um, that is big. I mean, I didn't I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole because I knew he had other stuff to talk about. We didn't have limitless time. But <sighs> what a that's it. I mean, that's Buddy. the only reason to do anything, really. Because you have to. Because you're compelled. Do it anyway. That's right, yes. Oh, I love that. That was great. Uh, Matt, next time you and I speak, it's the big hundo. The 100th episode extravaganza. I'm too nervous. I don't even know if I'm going to be there. I'm so... (laughs) (laughs) Buddy, if you leave me at the altar... I swear. <laughs> we can't have the 100th app be a solo app. That would not mm. be right. Well, it feels like Christmas Eve, though, doesn't it? Yeah, man, it really does. Just <laughs> all, all a flutter. Talk to you later, buddy. Talk to you later, buddy. Talk to you later, buddy.